grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. My brothers, my sisters in Jesus. There is a difference between love and possession. There is a difference even though the two can look really, really similar. The high school couple who is always publicly displaying their affection, holding hands in the hallway, smooching each other before they part every single time. They look like they're so in love. They look like that's true love. But inside, they're only, both of them are only in that relationship for what they can get out of each other. It's not love. It's possession. Your friends can seem like they love you, like they care about you, they want to hang out with you, they want to talk with you, they want to get in trouble with you, but when they invite you to that late night party and you say you can't go because you have work to catch up on or you have church the next day, and their response is anger and hatred and fury, that sounds more like possession than love. You see, love says, I want what's best for you. Possession says, I want you to give me what's best for me. Love says, go where you want to go. Say what you want to say. I want to see you flourish. Possession says, you go where I want you to go. You say what I want you to say. I want you to stay the same and stay right here. Possession is taking a nice, neat little box of what we want out of somebody, of what we expect from somebody, and jamming them into it. Possession is fitting someone into a box that we are comfortable with, that we understand, and that we can control. So how do you feel about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Or do you try to possess Jesus? Jesus was wandering around, well, he had more purpose than wandering. He was traveling through the villages of the city called Caesarea Philippi. And like El Paso, like New York City, cities are where you encounter the most diversity. And so Jesus was encountering diversity of ethnicities, diversity of philosophies, diversity of opinions and reactions to him. He was teaching those willing to learn. He was healing those who needed to be healed. And he was hearing the people's reactions. And his disciples have been with him this whole time. So Jesus knows that they've heard the way people have reacted to him. He turns to his disciples and he says, Who do do the people say that I am? Come on, let's hear it. You've, You've heard the different ideas. You've heard the different reactions. What have you been hearing? Let's hear it. And the disciples respond with three different answers that all have one insidious thing in common. Because some people say that Jesus is just John the Baptist all over again. Someone in their recent memory. Wasn't that long ago that John the Baptist was preaching and teaching and baptizing? Wasn't that long ago that John the Baptist was martyred? So maybe Jesus was just John the Baptist all over again. Something familiar, something we can understand, a box we can fit him into. Maybe... Jesus is Elijah, back from the dead, this Old Testament prophet who lived, a hun- who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before. Maybe he's back. 
Because when he was alive, he was teaching, he was doing miracles. Maybe that's what Jesus is. Elijah, something familiar, something they already knew about, a box they could fit Jesus into. Or maybe Jesus is just one of the prophets. We know what a prophet is like, someone who, t- who talks for God, who interacts with God's people. Maybe that's just Jesus as another Jeremiah or, or another Isaiah or another Amos all over again. Once again, something familiar, something they had seen before, a box that they could fit Jesus into. So what do you hear out there? Who do people say Jesus is? My guess is you don't have that many conversations that center around who Jesus is, at least not directly, but you do hear the conversation go on in different ways, right? Whenever somebody expresses their opinions about the world, whenever somebody expresses how, how they think God works, how they think God reacts to this or that tragedy, what are you hearing? You're hearing people's opinions about who Jesus is. And you've probably heard people try to fit Jesus into a box. Because we want Jesus, our natural inclination is to make a Jesus out of our own image. To make a Jesus who thinks the way that we think, who talks the way that we would talk, who makes decisions the way we would make decisions. And so when somebody says, I think that God responds to tragedy like this, or he's guiding the universe like this, a lot of times it's just what they would do if they were in Jesus' shoes. Now what about you? Forget the people out there. Forget the people that you've heard talk about Jesus. Who do you say, I am, Jesus asks. Peter swoops in, right? The spokesman for the disciples. He says what's on all of their minds, and he says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Ding, 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 jackpot. He won, right? Gold star for Peter. He said the right answer. Jesus, you are God's anointed one. You are the one promised from long of old. You are Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. You are our Savior, Jesus. Jesus says, good job, Peter. You won. Now let's keep it on the down low. We're not ready to blow the lid off this Messiah thing yet. But you didn't fall trap to the tendency we have to fit Jesus into a box, Peter. Except he did. Because Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, the Lord saves, he talks about what exactly he's going to need to do to save, to be the Messiah. He says it is necessary for the Messiah to be rejected, to suffer, to die, to be buried, and to rise again from the grave. And Peter and the rest of the disciples are hearing Jesus say this, and they're saying, what? No, that's not true. The Messiah be rejected? That doesn't seem right. The Messiah suffer? That doesn't sound okay. This Messiah die? Be placed in a grave? And this rising from the dead business? That's not right. So Peter takes it upon himself to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. Can you imagine the audacity to take Jesus aside and rebuke him? Because Jesus wasn't fitting into Peter's little box. 
Jesus or Peter had an idea of what the Messiah was supposed to do. He had a very clear notion of what the Messiah was supposed to do. Peter wanted the Messiah to be like him, to act like him, if even for a moment, to make decisions the way he did. And so this is a reaction from someone who gets uncomfortable when they realize Jesus doesn't fit into their little box anymore, that Jesus will not have someone tell them him what to do. So Peter rebuking Jesus is telling the Messiah not to be the Messiah. Peter rebuking Jesus is telling Yeshua not to be the Lord who saves. Peter rebuking Jesus is telling Jesus not to do the very thing he came to the earth to do. And so Jesus is not going to have any of it. He will not be put into a box. Jesus is not going to subject himself to our expectations of what he should do. Jesus already knows what he should do. So maybe Jesus' reaction to Peter sounded a little harsh when he said, get behind me, Satan. You have not the, the concerns of God in mind, but near, merely human concerns. Realize what Jesus is saying. This is the way Jesus reacts when we try to put him in the box of merely taking care of our human concerns. But isn't it comforting? that Jesus reacts so strongly? Doesn't it help you to know that Jesus will not be deterred from his mission? No, Jesus came ready to suffer, ready to be rejected, ready to be hung on a cross, because he's not just concerned about human concerns, he has the concerns of God in mind. Isn't it great that Jesus is after more after saving more than just your bad credit or your bad health or a bad relationship or a bad job. Jesus is after all of you. Jesus is concerned with not just your life here and now, but with your soul, with your eternity. And he will not be deterred from his mission. You see... Jesus is the Savior we need, even if he's not the Savior we would have expected. Jesus is the Messiah that we need, even if he doesn't fit into our little box. Jesus is not John the Baptist. He is not Elijah. He is not a prophet. He is nothing that we've seen before. And thank God that he is because of what Jesus has taken care of. Jesus has taken care of your salvation your forgiveness, your soul, your eternity. That's Jesus. That's Yeshua. That's the Lord who saves. Thank God that Jesus does not fit into a box. Thank God that Jesus will not be possessed by us. Thank God that we are free to just love him as he is, to hear what he has to say, and to follow him instead of trying to make him follow us. That's why Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. You know, in 21st century America, the Bible has been part of our tradition for so long. People have been 
reading it and misreading it and explaining it and explaining it poorly to the point where this verse, take up your cross and follow me, is practically a cliche, isn't it? I don't doubt that you've heard it before. But hear it the way that Jesus' first hearers would have heard it. To them, when they hear the word cross, the only thing they think of is a Roman instrument of torture. When they hear the word cross, the only thing they think of is an invention by the Romans designed to kill someone as humiliatingly and slowly as possible. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross, embrace it like you would your nighttime teddy bear, you got some concerned looks in the crowd. But what is Jesus saying? If you're trying to save your life here on earth, if you're trying to pad your life, make it as comfortable as possible, make this earth your home, you will be in for a rude awakening. Let Jesus blow open that box. But see what he's saying. To pick up your cross is to love Jesus more than this life. To pick up your cross is to love Jesus more than your own pride. To pick up your cross is to love Jesus more than your own comfort zone. To pick up your cross is to love your spouse even when they're being unlovable. To pick up your cross is to show up to work even if you work a thankless job where no one is going to praise you for the hard work that you do. To pick up your cross is to call work and say that you can't stay late again because you need to be there for your kids. To pick up your cross is to place Jesus as your number one priority in life because he's the one that will see you into eternity. And don't get us wrong this morning, brothers and sisters. You do not need to go looking for crosses. You do not need to go searching for suffering. The only thing you need to do is look down and see where your feet are and then look around and see who's right in front of you. Your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people you are called to serve. Pick up your cross and love them the way Jesus does. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus' lead the way he shows grace to us all. Pick up your cross and embrace getting out of your comfort zone for Jesus. Embrace living a life for Christ, not trying to make Christ live for you. So brothers and sisters, Jesus does not fit into a box. He is not someone that we can possess. Jesus is someone that you can simply love, that you can simply appreciate for who he is, that you can simply follow because you know where he leads is good. Jesus is someone who you can pick up your cross and follow because you know where it's going. You know where he's leading you. You know that he loves you. Amen.